It is a pleasure to preach here again. Uh, I think the last time I preached for Valley Hope was in December, so it's been too long. It's my first time preaching in our new building, uh, which is a special treat for me. Um, but yes, I am a student at Gordon-Conwell, and um, I'm glad that three years ago when our pastor Anthony said, hey, Harrison, do you want to try preaching? And I said, no, I don't. He said, great, you'll do it in January. Uh, I'm very thankful that he pushed me to do that, and I'm thankful that you all invite me back uh, to do this every once in a while. It's very encouraging and very affirming. So our text today is Psalm 104, which is going to be on the screen behind me, but... I want to encourage you maybe to do a little bit more listening than reading along, if you're willing. Psalm 104 has a lot of these uh, very vivid descriptions that I think will evoke images in your mind if you'll let them do so. So if you'd like to read along, if that's helpful for you, you're welcome to. But um, if you want to try something new, maybe try listening more and let the images come to you as you hear them. And now let's read together this ancient hymn of Israel to God, our Creator. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations and it can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains and went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters, and they sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness 
it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor till evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There's the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they're created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I'll sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord our God, add your blessing to the reading of your holy word. Make us receptive to the Holy Spirit. May the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Psalms, if you're not aware, are uh, songs and prayers of ancient Israel. As I was reading that in verse 18 when it mentions the conies, I couldn't help but think of the scene in Lord of the Rings when... Sam tries to tell them how to cook conies, and he says, you need potatoes. So if you like Lord of the Rings, you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, so after reading this psalm about the wonders of nature, it might surprise you to hear that I intend to preach on the topic of devotion. When I was a kid, I grew up hearing the word devotion a lot, and I thought that it meant a Christian book that you read that had prayers in it. I didn't understand that devotion was an activity and an attitude towards God. I thought it literally referred to a devotion was this book. But of course, reading a Christian book is a way of being devoted. It's a good way to show devotion to God. But there are other ways as well. We uh, devote ourselves to God through giving ourselves to him. Of course, devotion is to give something for a purpose. We do this in our life all the time. Maybe you give a certain amount of time each day to play with your kids. Maybe you devote a night of the week to watch something new on Netflix that you're waiting for. But Christian devotion 
is giving ourselves and parts of our lives to God. And as Christian people who love the Lord, it ought to be our highest priority to be devoted to God and to give our lives to Him in a variety of ways. For example, we can devote our time to God when we make time to pray or to come to church or to serve other people in His name. We can devote our plans to Him when we trust His direction above our own ideas. We devote our actions and choices when we obey His commandments to do certain good things and not to do sinful things. And ultimately, of course, the goal of living a devoted life is to do what Paul describes in Romans 12, when he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the pursuit, living sacrifice, completely given over to God for his purposes, and ultimately to be transformed more and more to be like Jesus. So Psalm 104 is this hymn which gives praise to God for the vastness and beauty of creation. It's lengthy and it mentions a lot of things like goats and ravines and rocky crags. And this is the world we live in, that we see all around us every day, that we watch documentaries about, narrated by a nice British man's voice, where they go into the ocean and look at stuff on the bottom of the ocean, or they go into the mountains or the rainforests. And it's amazing to see all these things. And the psalm beholds all of them, and it says, Our God, He made these things. They're the work of His creativity, and I must worship Him for it. Charles Spurgeon, the English preacher, said in his commentary on this psalm that the spirit of ardent praise to God runs through the whole thing, and with it a distinct realization of the divine being as a personal existence, loved and trusted as well as adored. The whole psalm lies before us as a panorama of the universe viewed by the eye of devotion. So let's be quite clear, this is not a hymn to nature. It's not praising nature or worshiping the universe. We're Christians, we're not pantheists. We don't believe that the natural world contains God or that animals and rivers and trees contain parts of God in them or that somehow they make up God. Christian Theology 101 is that God is self-existent. If the universe ceased to exist, God would still exist. It only exists because he created it, and he is in no way dependent on the universe or nature for his existence. So at no point in the psalm are we given a chance to praise nature itself, but rather the one who made it. And so what I want to ask of you and to ask of myself is, Do we behold the totality of creation 
and see it as an opportunity for devotion. A chance to give recognition to God who made it all. Because apparently, that's how the psalmist viewed it. That's what ancient Israel would sing about when they sang this. They would see the world around them in details, apparently, and then name them all as opportunities to bless God for how amazing and powerful he is. And actually, there are many places in Scripture where we're invited to remember the Lord when we look at creation. For example, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is encouraging his disciples when he sends them out to preach the kingdom. And he's telling them of the way that God is going to take care of them while they're on their mission from him. And he says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. See, not just a a generic bird, but a sparrow in particular, which God made and knows what they're doing. He even knows when they fall out of the sky And when we see sparrows, we remember God cares about them, but he cares about us much more. Again, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching against worry and anxiety in our lives. And he gives these two examples. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. For isn't life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So an example of the beauty of nature in Jesus' preaching to show that God cares about these things and provides for them in the natural world, and we can recognize them as assurances that he also cares for us, but more so. Has anybody here ever grown trees or cultivated trees? Any arborists? Okay, same. So in Romans 11, Paul uses an agricultural image to talk about the gospel. So I did not know this, but apparently you can graft tree branches. If you cut a branch off of one tree, you can cut a notch in a different tree, put the end of the branch into that notch, and then bind it up, and it will eventually attach together so that tree now has another branch. Well, apparently Paul knew this, and in Romans 11, when he's describing the way that God has allowed the Gentiles to come into his, the people of Israel 
he uses the, the metaphor of an olive branch, which was cut off of a different tree and then grafted onto the tree of Israel. So for anyone who's familiar with that, again, there's an image of how God works, which he gives us in creation. Of course, there are uh, some negative lessons to be remembered through observing nature. Does anybody here own a dog? Proverbs 26 gives us this charming mental image. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. There's a lesson there. So in, in many places in Scripture, we're told to observe the world God made and to remember things about Him and about ourselves. So this psalm teaches us to notice things that God has made and then to recognize His power and His love and His care. And so on the basis of this Scripture, I want to encourage everyone here to try and add this attitude to your devotional life. Maybe you've already got a very strong devotional life, and maybe you don't have one at all. The opportunity is the same. If you're looking for somewhere to start your devotional life, start with something simple like thanking God for the world that he made. Observe creation and enjoy the beauty of it, but don't just stop there and say, oh, it's really nice. Use it as a chance to turn and say, God, thank you that I can see these things, that I can grow plants in my window that are beautiful. Thank you that I can hear rain. Thank you that the mountains and stars and lakes are beautiful. Thank you that you are creative and powerful and that you made these things that I get to enjoy and experience for free. So let me give you some examples of, of how I see creation uh, being opportunities for devotion. If you were here on Easter Sunday, our pastor Anthony noted in his sermon that John's gospel emphasizes the garden setting of Jesus' resurrection and that in that garden, when Jesus rose from the dead, God undid the mistake which occurred in the Garden of Eden when man first fell into sin. That was very poignant to me, and it stuck with me since then. So consider now that when you and I take a leisurely stroll through a garden, we have every reason to remember that gardens are not just arbitrarily there, but they're forever imbued with this significance to remind us that something horrendous happened in a garden one time, but God did something even greater than the power of that first problem to undo it when Jesus rose from the dead. A couple examples from my life that I could share. When I was a kid one time, my family, we would vacation to Black Mountain. Um, I haven't always lived here. I'm from Charlotte. But my family used to come to Black Mountain on weekends. And my grandparents came with us one time. And we walked outside to get in the car to go somewhere. And there was a moth on the hood of my dad's truck. And it was white. I remember it distinctly. It was white, but it had these pink little lines on the wings of it. So I thought it was pretty cool, and I was looking at it. And my grandpa came up behind me, and he said, uh, I was probably eight or nine at the time, and he said, Harrison, you know what this moth reminds me of? 
or what it, what, it, what it says to me. And I was like, no, it's a moth. And he said, well, it tells me that God told an angel to take a little paintbrush and to put those marks on it. Now, I don't think my grandpa was making a deep theological statement about how God creates things. But the point was, he saw his Lord's handiwork in something as insignificant as a moth on the hood of a pickup truck. But it reminded him that God is creative, and he wanted to share that insight with me, his grandson. And then uh, another example, when I was a student at Montreat, I did a lot of work at the Dripolator, like most Montreat students do. Think of the money I would have now if I hadn't gone to the Drip <laughs> at Montreat. And um, there was a day when I was sitting out in the little alleyway between the Drip and the, I guess it's the museum, and I was uh, doing some work, sitting at one of the chair at one of the tables, and I kept hearing this uh, squeaky noise. It sounded like a, a door on a hinge almost. Well, it was getting really annoying, and so I started looking around for what was causing this um, noise. And a couple of feet away from my bag on the ground was a little baby mouse, or like a mole or something, probably no bigger than the end of my thumb. And it was like shrieking and like squealing uh, on the ground. And obviously, I guess it had fallen out of its nest or been abandoned by its mother or whatever. But I just sat there and watched this thing, clearly suffering. And I couldn't do anything for it. Uh, but it, there was something so wrong about it. You know, if there was a mouse in my house, I would probably kill it. But the fact that it was there, a baby suffering, it was just terrible to watch. And that, that image, when I still think about it today, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. And so the reason I mentioned that one that's not so pleasant is because not everything we see in nature is beautiful. Some of it spurs us to long for peace and wholeness and even justice. And I think that especially when we behold these things in nature, destruction and suffering, it ought to make us look even more in anticipation for when God will make all things new. It ought to remind us to hope in addition to praise that we see these things and it reminds us that God's redemptive plan isn't yet fully accomplished, that one day he's going to fix all the destruction and things that we see. Now, unfortunately, uh, I think that some people who like nature get kind of a bad rap in the church. You might be called a tree hugger or something like that. But let me encourage some of you that if you feel drawn to nature and find clarity being in God's creation, I say, so did Jesus. If you are a person who senses God's presence and feels near to him when you're around his handiwork in nature or in animals or looking out at the ocean, good for you. There are many examples in the Gospels when Jesus would take his disciples away from the towns to be in a secluded place just so that he could have some quiet and pray to his father. Or he would wander in these deserted areas. It was where Jesus went to pray. And I think that some of you who have that natural inclination actually have an advantage over some of us who don't. For you, 
God's handiwork is doing its job in your life. You are meant to see it and to marvel at its beauty and then to put your hands up and say, God, how big and talented are you? And that's not easy for all of us. Some of us have a hard time pausing to do things like that. But of course, there's a a word of gentle caution, which is an order, particularly here in Asheville. If If you find fulfillment in nature, but you're at the point where you're considering leaving Christianity for some type of nature thing, nature spirituality, something which replaces the God of the Bible and the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross just with nature, then I need to encourage you not to mistake creation as the creator himself. This has been the danger of man for millennia. Men have always been tempted to worship the creation rather than the creator. But many places in scripture show it's just simply illogical to do that. The universe had a beginning. That is scientifically proven. The universe had a beginning. It had to have a cause. To worship the creation instead of the creator is clearly missing that aspect. In Isaiah, the prophet goes on this rebuke of people who who worship trees or they make idols out of stones and wood, but then they take the exact same wood that they worship and they make a fire and cook their food on it. It just doesn't make any sense to do that. And also, to simply observe nature as your religion or your spirituality doesn't give you any grounds for morality or justice. But in recognizing God as creator, we have the chance to say, Lord, come and fix this. When will you come and make things new? When will you fix the destruction and the suffering that I see? So my uh, main takeaway for this sermon is that which is stated at the beginning and end of the psalm itself. Psalm 104 begins thus. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And then it ends with praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. That repeated call to praise God when you see what he has done. And so, will we let creation spur us to praise him? Especially us who live here in the mountains. Will you let the mountains you pass every morning on your stupid commute to work, will it let you give you pause for five seconds at a red light and turn your attention briefly to God and say, Father, you are powerful and I am amazed by you. And let that habit build in your life and build up your devotional life, dedicating things you have to God. And then when you see things like tornadoes and drought and tsunamis, would you be filled with the hope of resurrection? That you wouldn't just gloss over it and say, oh, well, that happened, that's unfortunate. But let it stir up that longing in you to say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Father, make things new, recreate 
what is in agony and what is groaning, as Paul says in Romans. So I'd like to close with a reading from the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 55, Isaiah describes with beautiful imagery how it is when people answer God's invitation to be reconciled to him, to receive his word, and to live with him. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and following. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It won't return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Amen. Let's pray. We bless you, Lord, for your power, for your holy scripture, for your love, for taking care of us the way you take care of the animals and the plants. Lord, cause us to fall all the more in love with you, with your son, Jesus, and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can imitate him and live lives of testimony to who you are. Amen.